listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonçalves. Hi everyone, it's a daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Wednesday, the 28th of September 2022. Later, where Australia ranks globally when it comes to cyber security. But first, to the consumer, because they're spending at record levels despite rising interest rates. Retail sales topped $34.9 billion in August. That's according to the Bureau of Statistics, and it increases the chance of another supersized interest rate hike by the Reserve Bank on Tuesday. For more, I spoke early, earlier with Callum Pickering. He's the Chief Economist at Indeed. Callum, firstly, are you surprised at the strength of the consumer? Absolutely. The, um, you know, the household sector has proven to be highly resilient, Um, over the course of this year, particularly with rates rising as fast as they have. The retail sector isn't just growing strongly, it's growing incredibly strongly, up 9.1% in this year alone. Now, to put that number into some uh, context, we'd normally expect to see 9% growth over the course of three years rather than just an eight-month period. So the household sector is doing exceedingly well right now, despite the odds being stacked against it. So how do you explain the divergence between consumer sentiment? The Westpac Consumer Sentiment Index continues to show there are more pessimists than optimists and actual consumer spending, which is not just high, but at a record high. There is certainly a gap between how rising interest rates are making us feel versus how it's making us act. And one of the reasons for that might simply be the fact that many households have created buffers that protect themselves against rising interest rates. You've got uh, mortgage offset accounts, you've got extra repayments, you've got people who kept their repayments steady even when interest rates were going down. And what that has meant is that it has protected them as rates rise. It means that they're not seeing the impact of that just yet. And that means that they can actually uh, continue uh, their existing spending patterns unimpeded. So does this mean the case for a more aggressive or a continuing, a continuing aggressive RBA is stronger because the RBA meets next month? In order to run inflation, the RBA has to come up with a way to soften the demand for goods and services. And the fact that retail spending remains as strong as it is, is a sign that the RBA is going to need to continue to be aggressive going forward. The market expects another 100 basis points in rate hikes by the end of the year. And I think it's increasingly likely that the RBA is going to have to do that. Given interest rate rises, and we're still yet to see the impact on retail sales, do you think we will start to see a slowdown in spending by consumers? Well, the outlook for the retail sector is somewhat mixed. There are obviously some positives around very low unemployment, as well as high household savings. Uh, But there's also a lot of negatives, rising interest rates and high inflation being uh, two key ones. We would expect the impact of rising interest rates to continue to build um, and hit household um, budgets and and incomes over the remainder of the year, which could potentially weigh on retail spending over the holidays. Now, that said, uh, the household sector has proven to be far more resilient than I think anyone anticipated. And so the retail sector could certainly hold up uh, better than expected over the next few months. Just finally, we've got the um, online sales period coming towards the end of next month, the likes of Black Friday, for example. I've heard anecdotal evidence of stories about businesses, many smaller businesses stockpiling or having a lot of inventory in their warehouses or their back room because of supply chain issues before they didn't want to be caught out again. So given this potential slowdown, though, do you think we might see some really, really good sales in this sales period so that they can clear this stock? 
Well, certainly uh, consumers have come to expect big sales over the Christmas period. The, the Black Friday sales haven't been something that uh, we've been doing in Australia for a very long period, um, but it's certainly something that Australians have embraced. And so we'll be expecting some big uh, sales around that time. It is true that uh, many retailers have increased their stock levels uh, in response to some of the supply chain issues they were dealing with earlier this year, and that could potentially impact the sort of sales that we might see uh, over the course of uh, November and December. Callum Pickering there, the Chief Economist at Indeed.com. Now, interest rate worries did hit the Australian share market today, which fell half a percent. The 200 at 6,462. For more, I spoke earlier with James Gerrish from Shore and Partners. There was some, it's followed US futures lower after being higher this morning. There was some news out of the White House effectively saying that um, they wouldn't uh, try and seek any cooperation with other uh, nations around uh, weakening the US dollar. So that saw uh, futures lower in the US and that's dragged our market. They've pretty much replicated each other um, since the, the get-go this morning. I want to go into more detail on currencies in a few moments, but first, and it's still related, the interest rate story, right? We're seeing more and more economists upgrade their forecasts for a peak in interest rates, ANZ yesterday, both here and for the US. Today, we saw solid retail sales numbers here in Australia. I'm assuming this just adds to the case for higher interest rate rises and perhaps a more aggressive push by the Reserve Bank. So is there the threat that central bankers may be going too hard and is this being reflected in the markets at all? Uh, I think your first point, I think there is a real threat that central bankers uh, go too hard on rates. They're obviously slow to the party initially and now they're sort of um, chasing their tail and, and ratcheting up interest rates at a pretty aggressive rate because of inflationary pressures. But, um, you know, you think about what's priced into the market. I know economists have been uh, increasing their forecast, but they're still sort of low threes. Um, you know, the cash rate futures market is saying that, um, you know, the cash rate will be four and a quarter uh, by May of 2023. So, you know, markets are already there. Um, you know, financial markets are already there. Economists typically are, are more accurate than financial markets in predicting uh, or forecasting this, um, you know, expectations on interest rates. So um, the market's already there. So that's a no-known. I don't think these changing um, forecasts are going to come as a huge shock to, to market participants. Okay, you touched on the um, the US dollar, its strength of late. Um, we're seeing the Australian dollar as a result hit a technical level which may see it fall towards 60 US. I think we've breached below 64 US just this afternoon for the first time since about April 2020. What's your take on the currency markets? Yeah, trading sub 64 at the moment. I mean, the Aussie dollar is um, you know, a cork in a big ocean. So, and the the most you know influential thing in that ocean is what the US dollar does. Um, the US dollar typically it's it's considered a safe haven. Uh, they typically outperform when economic conditions are tough. And you've also got outsized rate hikes coming through from the US. So, you know, we're likely to do something like you know 25, maybe 50 basis point increase at our next at the next meeting. You know, the US are going to do 75 or it seems that way at the moment. So, I mean, their interest rates are uh, above 3%, ours are, are just above 2%. So, um, the Aussie dollar is, you know, it's a stabiliser for our economy. It sort of works in our favour when things are tougher. Um, you know, it makes um, you know, Aussie exports and the like more attractive um, to others. But, I mean, it, it all comes down to what the US does, and, and ultimately we don't have a lot of say in that, unfortunately. 
I don't necessarily want to go into politics, but today we saw Australia's deficit almost $48 billion lower than forecast, thanks to about $14 billion in company taxes. But that's all related to those high commodity prices for both resources and energy. We're seeing a global growth slowdown now, though. So what happens this financial year? Yeah, I don't want to go into politics either, Ricardo. But um, you know, in terms of in, in terms of commodity prices, you're exactly right. This is what's driven um, that outcome. But there's two dynamics at play. So um, you know, supply and demand dictate um, ultimately commodity prices. We've obviously had you know, if you go into an economic contraction as we as we are doing, um, then the demand side suffers. But I think it's been more of a you know, the supply side has been really tight. We've seen it in many commodity markets around the world, and that's to me is what probably the, the, the main influence on price in the short term. So, you know, we're seeing it in coal, for instance, in the most uh, obvious way. But there are other, you know, there's been less money put in the ground over the last, um, you know, five years or so. And that's now coming to, you know, uh, pass with lower supply at a time when, you know, demand is deteriorating, but not by the amount that supply is being curtailed. Okay, so so what does that mean for future prices, though? So we won't see the same kind of our uh, benefit to the government's bottom line. Yeah, I think in the short term, probably not. So next year, um, I, I doubt that we will. But um, you know, if you look further out, so it depends what commodity you're talking about. So obviously, iron ore there's a lot more supply coming on stream over the coming years than than perhaps other commodities. Um, copper looks pretty well balanced at the moment, but you, you look in the outer years and it goes into deficit. So, um, you know, the, the outlook for copper prices, probably not in the next 12 months, but in the next, you know, in 12 to 24 months looks particularly strong. Lithium prices are, are, are very strong and coal prices, as I said before, just on the back of uh, a lack of supply um, are very strong. So I like the commodity trade here. I think it's probably just adjusting to these concerns around recessionary fears. Um, but I think as they work through, um, then the commodity trade will be will be back on. So ultimately, that will be a, a positive for Australia's bottom line. James Gerrish there from Shaw and Partners. Let's go from the markets now to the digital world, because the Optus cyber attack has highlighted the vulnerabilities many organisations face in digitisation. But a new report reveals Australia is lagging much of the world when it comes to cyber security. Australia rose to number 14 out of 63 on the IMD World Digital Competitiveness Ranking. Denmark was first. But in cyber security and government cyber security capacity, Australia was in the middle of the road. So what now? For more, I spoke earlier with CEDA Chief Economist, Jared Ball. Jared, let's start with the basics. What do we mean by digital competitiveness? Yeah, so when the IMD talks about digital competitiveness, they're talking about our capacity to take new technologies and use them to improve the way that we do business and the way that we live um, to have a better society. So um, it's really around, you know, some of those regulatory settings that we have. Do we have the right laws? Um, do we have the right workforce in the country to be able to take full advantage uh, of, of new technologies? And obviously that differs across different countries. Okay, so let's break down what the IMD has said. Australia's ranking has improved to 14 around the world. Why and where are our strengths? Yeah, so we really look at that as being a return to what we saw pre-pandemic. 
And I think what we've seen, you know, lots of people talking about the kind of digital uh, investments that we've seen during COVID. And I think we're actually starting to see in these sorts of surveys that that is, is giving us those improvements. But the areas that we're really strong on uh, are around the talent that we have and the workforce and sort of the research institutions that we have uh, around technology. But also we've invested in, you know, having a stable regulatory environment. We've invested in telecommunications infrastructure. So those things are really seen uh, as strengths and helping that capacity to adopt new technologies. Um, we're falling behind, though, in future readiness. What does that mean? Yeah, so this is really about the emerging technologies and, and not just are we able to adopt the things that are with us today, but are we ready to um, adopt future emerging technologies? And so right here is where Australia falls down uh, in, a, in three main areas, uh, I would say. Um, the first is around uh, cybersecurity, which has obviously been uh, in the news uh, in, the, in the last uh, week or so. Uh, we also fall down in terms of our use of big data and analytics, so artificial intelligence, which is something that we know from other studies um, that we're sort of we're behind the the curve on. Uh, and the other issue is just around companies' appetite to take risks and do new things with technology. Um, so that's a real cultural and and sort of attitudinal change uh, that needs to take place right across the economy. Okay, I, I want to delve into one of those. I, I bet you can guess which one it is, and that, that's on cybersecurity, right? So Australia ranked 31 for cybersecurity, 38 in terms of government cybersecurity capacity. Why do you think we're lacking in this space, and what are the implications? Because ob obviously, as you alluded to, the, the Optus saga has really brought this to the fore lately. Yeah, look, if you look across the survey, I think this is the best way to do it. When you look across the survey, the countries that are doing well on cybersecurity um, have invested a lot in research and development in this area, and they've invested a lot in growing their talent pool in this area. So uh, countries like uh, Israel and Singapore, for example. And I think that's where we um, have fallen down uh, the ladder a little bit uh, on this one. So how do we go about fixing it? Because if we're talking about um, skills, I remember when we were talking about the Job Skills Summit, uh, one of the areas that we were lacking of was those with cybersecurity type skills. Yeah, so when I look at this, and, and based on recent discussions that we've been having with experts at CEDA, there seem to be three clear areas that we can, we can take action on. The first is just li lifting the, the kind of level of awareness around the threats, and the threats have grown significantly since COVID-19. Uh, so that's, that's absolutely vital. Um, the second is around collaboration, both within the country, uh, across government, business, you know, sharing information on what is going on and people's responses uh, to, to cyber uh, security issues. And also working with our counterparts, you know, the United States, the United Kingdom, uh, Australia can't solve this issue on its own. Uh, this is a global threat uh, and we need to work with uh, other countries uh, on it. And finally, as you've mentioned, it's around the talent. Uh, it's about our skilled migration program uh, and blending, you know, the best uh, global talent, best homegrown talent in this area, and building real centres of excellence uh, around cyber security. That's the way that we will create um, greater security, greater trust around uh, our cyber security. 
Is is there a space in the digital world where Australia can actually take leadership, though? Well, I think it is around the workforce issues. If I look at the results of some of the countries that are in the top five, um, some of those have actually been criticised a little bit in the survey around their openness to migration. Uh, and I think we've got a real opportunity with, you know, our strong history of skilled migration uh, and, you know, combining that with homegrown talent to actually build uh, a really strong workforce. And it's clear that the government has a commitment around that. The tech sector has a commitment around that. And so I think that's where we need to focus uh, and, and the rest uh, if you invest in that, we'll sort of follow. Jared Ball there from CETA. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.